Deborah Burns, how did I meet you? We met at an event that I think neither one of us wanted to go to. <laughs> it was raining. Uh huh. I think it was at a time, I won't mention any names, okay, any no organizations. Names. No. It was Mm-mm. one of those associations. Yeah. And it was at a time where we both might have been transitioning. Yes. Meaning to new jobs. To new New career ventures. Paths, Uh as they say. So someone had invited me. It wouldn't have been something I would ordinarily have gone to. And you were there. Well. And I was by the hors (laughs) d'oeuvres. That's right. (laughs) And you came over. Yep. And said hello. I did. I read a great article once, and I know I don't know if I'll get this right, but it's sort of career apropos. I came over because I'm sort of a lifeguard, and they talk about at conferences or to build your career and networking, uh, you've gotta like work the room. Mm -hmm. And there are three types of people. I think one is a lifeguard who goes and sees someone standing by themselves and and helps. One is the pool or the pod of dolphins, and they're the people who all work together at the same company, Mm -hmm. and they never break out from their little pod. And then uh, I think they're just like the swimmer or the drowner or the something. I'm not saying you were the drowner. I was about to say, what are you saying, No, Were you saying that I looked as if I was drowning? Well, you know, Deborah, I like to think of it as the line from Pretty Woman. And what happens when he rescues the princess? Yes. She rescues him right back. There you go. There you go. Hey, it's E.B. Moss, and this is episode two of It's Quite a Living. This episode was recorded a few months back before our current pandemic, but everything that Deborah Burns, memoirist and former chief innovation officer of major magazine organizations, has to say is still so spot on. And I think you'll really appreciate this conversation with yet another one of my friends in high places. So you did rescue me. Vice versa. I really didn't know people there. And then the funny thing is, we ran into each other. Was it the next week? We really did connect over those hors d'oeuvres. Hors d'oeuvres, yeah. And I think we made a promise to talk more. And maybe two or three nights later, I was at another event. (laughs) Again, by the hors d'oeuvres. Wanted to go to. A very different kind of event. Uh huh. It was in a magnificent apartment. And I will give her a shout out. She won't mind. Oh, okay. My dear friend, my high school friend, and former college roommate, Pam Henning. And my, through work, uh, friend for many, many, many years. And I turned around <laughs> in this throng of revelers. And there you were. Uh, Once again. With a drink in my hand. Yes. Um, (laughs) And I had no idea that the two of you were connected. And I really felt um, that was a little bit like a destiny moment, that we were meant to meet one another. And then it it did go on from there. You were very helpful to me in a way I never initially imagined. I had been working on another book, not the one that... Uh, just published but another book and you recommended a friend of yours 
who was a specialist in that particular genre. Yes. Do you want to mention names? I can. Her name um, was and is uh, (laughs) Andrea Chapin. I met her through you, and we worked together on a project, and she opened my eyes to many things. And I really attribute all of that to that first that first, hello first hors d'oeuvre. And kind of stepping into serendipitous moments, which is something that I seem to naturally do or gravitate to or draw to me, yeah. whatever it is, whatever chemistry, alchemy right. makes it happen. Um, my family always laughs because... I usually start a sentence once or twice or three times a week where, can you believe that? Or (laughs) what are the odds of that happening? Exactly. Because things like that happen all the time. All the time. But you know what? I do think that it takes an openness, an awareness, and a receptivity, all of which you have. So but before we go on anymore to explain sort of your our genesis and and Mm -hmm. friendship even more and the book that you mysteriously referenced Mm -hmm. i want to give our listeners a little bit more of the formal background of Of who the heck you are i was gonna say hell all right (laughs) okay who the hell i am well you know this is really about friends and things like that so (laughs) we could say who the hell you are (laughs) um you and i just picked up like the friends that we are. Right. So formally, Mm -hmm. let me read about you. Absolutely. (laughs) Feel free. Thank you. Deborah Burns is a former chief innovation officer and brand leader for, get this, L Girl, L Decor, Metropolitan Home, and L Global. Although she's now a media industry consultant and founder of Skirting the Rules, beneath her business expertise beat the heart of a writer. Actually, that should say, beats the heart of a writer. Do you know an edit worthwhile? This is why I have you in my life. Yeah. <laughs> she and Deborah began a creative journey that resulted in her highly acclaimed memoir, which we're going to talk a little bit about today, which I love, Saturday's Child, and a new venture that marries strategy and creativity to inspire employees and consumers alike. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, Deborah. Yeah. Um, Actually, the first thing that I, I want to ask you about, I met you by the hors d'oeuvres as Deborah. I've known you for these past several years as Deborah. And in your memoir, mm. Saturday's Child, mm. you refer to yourself throughout the entire thing as Debbie. I think you're sort of like, you know, to I'm two me, people. Yes, you are. <laughs> um, so many people in my professional realm were were very surprised by that but that was the nickname that my mother called me my mother Dorothy uh, my name uh, had to start with a D to uh, keep up Compliment her personal alliteration mm-hmm. yes okay. um, and I was always referred to as Debbie and maybe it was a conscious effort but it, it seemed when I went to college and was a journalism major and then became the first female editor-in-chief of the college newspaper. Yay. I used Deborah when I went to school, and that just stayed for the rest of my life. But the book, being a true story, albeit an eccentric one, <laughs> um, 
I, the Debbie comes out, and it does surprise a lot of people, so I'm not surprised. But it's charming, and, and you know, as someone who started going by her initials yes. at age 18 mm. to sound more like a writer, mm-hmm. there we go. We have that in common as well. Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm going to ask you to, because who better than the author who lived the life that you wrote about, mm-hmm. than you to explain in a nutshell, sure. the essence of Saturday's Child. So um, I know now it was the story that I was born to tell. Uh, then, within that beating heart, there was something that was unresolved about the relationship with my otherworldly, beautiful, unattainable mother. Mm-hmm. The book is called Saturday's Child because I saw her mostly on Saturdays and I was the only child who was dancing around the pedestal of this goddess. Mm-hmm. And the book was published 25 years after her death. So I needed a long time to get uh, the perspective on our relationship. And it started as a love story to her. But as I began writing it, I realized, oh, it's all about me, and maybe for the first time. Mm. And so at its heart, Saturday's Child is a story of becoming and overcoming and emerging strong from a situation that might have rendered me weak. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm finding now, there have been so many unexpected consequences of the book, but the book seems to have real meaning to readers who don't even know me. That's why I say I know it's the story that I was born to tell, mm-hmm. uh, because it's one that has meaning. I've somehow touched some kind of universal mother-daughter yes. chord, yes. I think. And, you know, all kidding aside about the name and, and metamorphosis, I mean, we truly see you move from a Debbie, mm-hmm. a, a cute, dutiful Debbie daughter, mm-hmm. to Deborah. Mm-hmm. And, well, I read a little bit about your your bio and your past. I mean, your path to uh, heading up innovation at, mm-hmm. at one of the biggest magazine franchises in the world Mm. inspired me so much because it would have been so easy for you to stay under the shadow of a strong independent beautiful woman and come out of it with imposter complex Mm -hmm. and yet you strode forward you learned how to navigate And how did that feel in your early stage career? How did you take on that mantle? Did you channel your mother? What did you do? Well, I'll start with the end of that. Um, I had a unique upbringing in that my mother was the prize and the person I chased and longed for. But she constructed a life for herself because she didn't want to be bothered with domesticity or (laughs) diaper pins or anything like that. And so she brought in my father's older two Italian sisters. I'll use the word spinster, but I'm sure somebody's going to have some social outcry about that there, word. There has been a movement. There's to, a movement to re- yeah, embrace spinster. And yeah. I, I, and, but then it, it had more of a negative mm-hmm. uh, connotation. 
And so these two women moved into our tiny, tiny apartment in Jackson Heights, Queens, and took care of my entire day-to-day and, and my parents. Wow. So one was the cook and the shopper, one was the cleaner and responsible for my education. And I'm an amalgam, really, I think, of all three of them. Oh, I, I definitely see. can uh, walk into a meeting mm-hmm. and uh, suit up and and have a seat at the table that's uh-huh. earned and some kind of internal whatever authority. But I can also go home and cook and cuddle. It was very important to me to become the mother mm-hmm. of that three children. Three children and one 11 month old granddaughter. Hey. The mother daughter story continues, <laughs> who is just beyond <laughs> what I ever imagined could be possible. Oh. So that family life were my priority. And I think that it really is because I'm a package where I can Uh live in both spaces because of those three women. So that was the end of your question. But it was such a long answer. What was the beginning of your question? (laughs) How, if you ever had to overcome imposter complex. Well, I think, let's be real. Mm -hmm. I mean, for people who are in business, every single person has an imposter complex. There is no one that feels uh, totally confident in any new situation unless they're mildly crazy. It's very comforting because we all think we're the only ones who suffer from that. forget when you're a writer, if you talk to any writer um, constantly plagued by self-doubt, rereading their own work and saying, that's so bad. So that feeling is a part of everyone it's the voice that's always self-sabotaging and and so it's all a balance and how do you balance that and stop that Um, people have told me you're so confident and I think it's just something where I am wired to always move forward and find the solution in things. But uh-huh. I will not sit here and say, I've never been afraid or I haven't felt like an imposter. Every promotion through the years at that global media company, I don't think I felt ready for one of them. Mm-hmm. It was someone else who saw something or believed in something and then said, you can do it. How wonderful. Yeah. And you learn to rise to every occasion. I think that that's what you got from an inaccessible mother. Mm -hmm. And then you did take on the mantle of each of your two aunts and applied them as Mm -hmm. necessary. So your mother really gave you some great skills in how to maneuver the world. Totally. I I just wrote an article because when you write a book, the writing never stops. <laughs> so now I'm writing essays around the themes of the book that then get picked up. And one of them was something like, I had a narcissistic mother and it made me a success. <laughs> Perfect. So I, I had to say at the beginning, because everyone is very easily offended, and I said, of course... It, it doesn't feel good not to be a priority or perhaps not fully loved. But uh-huh. my own experience is that it gave me gifts beyond measure. It made me more intuitive. I had a natural trait, mm-hmm. but it was honed razor sharp at her feet because I was always trying to figure her out. 
It made me imaginative, because if I didn't entertain her, maybe uh, she wouldn't see me next Saturday. <laughs> you know, and and oh. you know, I'm I'm teasing, but but it it played well, very well at the office. Everyone wanted me on their team because I loved making other talent shine. I didn't need to be number one. She trained me well, and when I spotted someone who was super, Mm -hmm. I loved like enhancing their work and helping them. And you know what? Everybody wants a piece of that. Yes, we do. Everybody wants to stay on. And so it came naturally to me. Pedestal too. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and so anyway, all the traits kind of combined. And it's all how you frame what's come before. We yeah. all have wounds. Right. The, the Japanese look at it a little differently. Yeah. I'm sure I'm pronouncing it wrong, but it's called kintsugi, mm-hmm. I think. Okay. And when, when a piece of porcelain, let's say, breaks in, here in the West, we get invisible Elmer's glue and we put it back together so that no one can see the crack. Uh-huh. But in Japan, they mix gold with the glue and you can see the cracks and the cracks are more beautiful and they become part of the history of the piece and that always has resonated with me and all of our wounds end up most of the time being our strengths I love that thank you and and I guess I should stop getting Botox (laughs) (laughs) Never get too much. Never That's too the key. Much. That's, That's the key. Knowing uh, what I tell my children: know when enough is Put enough. The needle down. <laughs> down. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, talking about how you frame things up, I really want to compliment you on your turns of phrases and how you framed up your life, Deborah. It's just it's beautiful. You know when you're friends with someone and you don't know the ins and outs of their own inner life their own secret life of bees Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's fascinating and it was so vulnerable of you to share that so full frontally with the world about your path to understanding accepting and learning from what your experience was your um your book as well it should, offers book club suggestions. And I just want to read this one last part before we go on and talk a little bit about the where the book is going and, and your mm-hmm. next career path part. But this last suggestion to readers says, Unlike harrowing memoirs of abuse, this is a subtle story that resonates precisely because most people live in the gray of life where things are often uncertain or have shades of meaning. The author looked back on her life to move forward, and in doing so, came to terms with perceptions that may or may not have been true. But that is such an apt uh, description of your book. It's subtle, but I couldn't put it down. Yeah, it has no judgment. There's no resentment in in Mm -hmm. the story at all. I grew up worshiping Mm -hmm. uh, this woman, and the book humanizes this idealized version of her a bit but i love her just as much yeah. today as i did our then. yeah it's just a little different now mm-hmm. and and things have shifted yep. you know i'm the one at the book event who's at the podium mm-hmm. um someone 
came over and said something remarkable to me that I had never thought about, and I think there's something in it for listeners too. Um, she came over at the end of one event and she said, wow, you've really done it. You put your mother right back at the center of your world. And now, <laughs> for the rest of your life, every day, you're going to be talking about your mother. Oh, boy. And I, I didn't see it that way at all. And it made me wonder, for all of us mm-hmm. who are maturing, mm-hmm. um, you know, the book was liberating and freeing in so many ways. Because to be out from under. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and to see things mm-hmm. differently. And maybe some of the truths I held as gospel weren't really true at all. And yet... Despite all that work and writing a book, which is torturous, Uh I might have unconsciously, by my own hand, put her right back in, in on a pedestal to revolve around. Because that is what I do every day now. I talk about the book. And and I just wonder if that's not and something to ponder. Right. There's no easy answer to that. Well, you're meant to perhaps live this version of your life in a way that revolves around your mother in some form or another, but mm-hmm. you certainly emerged as your own woman. Mm-hmm. So I think my personal philosophy is that we're here to learn to improve the world around us, and we might not get it perfect this time, but you have created a better version of yourself through whatever your karma with your mother was mm-hmm. and and you'll you're continuing to evolve. So, what's the evolution of the book? What's next on its path? And I I mean, a few months ago we were talking that there was Hollywood buzz around it. Mm-hmm. You're doing book tours. I saw you speak at a, a bookstore here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's beautiful and and you know, you're a bona fide writer, so what's next? Well, it's what have you done lately? So now it doesn't matter what I've done before. If somebody's introducing me now, I'm an author. And I really have stepped into a whole new world with its own rules and norms and nuances. And it's all very interesting. Um, I think to go back to how we started with serendipity, that's the best word for now. Mm-hmm. Yes, the Hollywood Reporter did recommend it to be a movie. Uh-huh. Uh, but that, as we both know, is a long uh, mm-hmm. road. But it was just wonderful that it did get that kind of attention. And my mother, there's a line in the book that said, I could have gone to Hollywood, Debbie. And really, all that I could think about when that happened, all that was looping in my head was, I am the completion of something. Oh, man. Oh, man. I mean, it's, it's a bit, it was a, like a big personal deal to me. She's certainly more famous now than she was in life. Her <laughs> wow. picture's everywhere. And, and she had been a model. She, she yes. was, yes. Um, so I am staying with this book because something is unfolding. But I do need to get cracking back in the, in the work world. But what's happening is that things are manifesting unexpectedly from the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them marries kind of my business background with my, my new creative path. And it's actually helping companies inspire their employees. And I realized when I started doing it, 
that I'm really in my in my sweet spot and it's a way for me to help people think like a writer not be a writer Mm -hmm. but there are lessons that despite being a chief innovation officer I never really knew or fully understood until I wrote a book there's going to be another book coming, so I won't give away the name because it's a good one. <laughs> I won't say it out loud, but um, it's something that a CEO, who I believe you know as well, kind of caught wind of, and I just did it inside of their organization, and another one's looking at it, another well, one, and it's building a whole new Give, give me a little prep. bit more uh, of an example of what you would walk in to do. I come in, it depends on the company, it could be a power hour, a lunch and learn, Uh, It could be a half-day workshop, and I help through the lessons I learned through this journey and all of my chief innovation officer business expertise Mm -hmm. solve problems and help them reframe so that they can be more productive at work and at home. Well, if anybody has learned how to reframe things and look at things (laughs) (laughs) with an innovative eye, it's you. And I will say that you know, an additional career could be tapping into your L Decor innovation area because you walked into my apartment where we're sitting now and said, Evie, if you don't mind, I would suggest that this chair moves there and that chair. And I said, Please tell oh. everybody that you asked me. <laughs> I, did. <laughs> I did ask first. I did say, what do you think? You didn't just volunteer and, and you know, foist it upon me. <laughs> but, you know, I knew that I had an expert here to give me it's advice. It's just a matter of everything we've ever done in our lives. Mm-hmm. The things we have mm-hmm. just sometimes need a fresh look or a fresh eye. I'm, I've always been wired for invention and reinvention mm. and what's next. And it's just taking what's, even in our sequel careers, everything that we've done before, like what I'm doing now with companies, works its way in. They're like puzzle yeah. pieces. Yeah. And it's the same thing with objects. As an only child, I inherited some of my mother's pieces but I make them new. I, I just break it apart and put it together again. So it's something that I can wear. It's something that suits me, but it's part of like her. Like uh, diamond yeah. earrings or something. Yeah, became, yeah, which I would never wear. She, had, she was the woman with big rings and cocktail oh. rings and all kinds <laughs> of things. And, and so I just take that and I re- redo it mm-hmm. for me. And, and it makes me comforted. And it's also true to me. Oh my gosh, if that is not a through line for this entire conversation <laughs> and everything you went through, take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of the experience with your mother, your father, the songwriter that helped with your creativity. Yeah. Move this here and boom, you've got a Deborah. Right. And it em- everything <laughs> emerges. Oh, Deborah Burns, this has been so much fun. We might have to do part two because... I- I don't know if I can say this, but I'm going to. You have to go help your daughter pick her wedding dress. Yes. Because you are an amazing mother. I do. That's my priority for the afternoon. Not that this wasn't. Uh, (laughs) But I would love coming back. Deborah Burns. It's quite a living. Evie, it's quite a life. Well, I really want to thank you for listening, for sharing, for subscribing to 
hopefully even rating this podcast and telling your friends because after all this is just about talking with friends so thank you for being in my expanding circle of friends and the truth is whether you're living quite the living we're all really lucky to be living quite the life 